This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Welcome to the latest ATP Tennis Radio podcast. I'm Seb Lozier, and the only way to describe this week's podcast is that it comes literally out of the very top office of the ATP. The outgoing executive chairman and president, Chris Kermode, was very generous with his time in a chat that spanned any number of topics, including the NITO ATP finals, the upcoming ATP Cup, and with it, the very future of the game of tennis. We also hear from the man in charge of the next-gen ATP Finals, Ross Hutchins. Barry Cowan put the questions to Ross. But we start with the man currently fulfilling the last month of his six-year tenure at the pinnacle of the ATP. Chris Kermode was speaking with Nick McCarvel and Barry Cowan. When I took over, it was this whole, um, you know, people have been talked about this generation, the greatest generation of all time. You know, and I... I know over the years I've almost sounded like a second-hand car dealer going, you know, I know it's all going to be great, but I actually really mean it, right? These next generation of players are going to be as big a stars, um, you know, as the generation we've seen. And at this year's NITO ATP Finals, this sort of crossroads of the old guard playing the new guard, it's, the mo- I think, the most incredible matchup ever. I think the future of the sport's really, really healthy. Um, the characters are great. They play in different styles. They're from geographically diverse you know places are spread across the globe and we are a global sport um, I'm, I'm excited about the future of the sport Chris when you first had the idea about the next gen and I'm sure there was a lot of doubters because there is always a lot of doubters in our sport did you expect it to happen this quickly no I didn't actually I mean I remember trying to sort of sell the idea and people were looking at me going you know Chris is going on about some funny little junior tennis tournament I'm going no it's not a junior tennis tournament we're trying to launch the new stars and actually really where it came from was I was looking at kids winning grand slams okay grand slam juniors and everyone then the weight of expectation at you know 17 or 18 was so big and people thought oh they're going to go on the tour straight away in that next year and then they'd slightly disappear into the wilderness for three or four years because the game's become so physical and dynamic that that breaking through now is almost 23. So I thought well actually if you had a 21 and under tournament it's almost how the old under 18 used to be. That was the initial intention and I didn't realise that we would get this much sort of global focus on it and that the quality of these players would be that high when we put it on. Um, I mean, you see, you know, half of them that are playing here played played the next gen, you know, in the last two years. Um, so it was a, an idea to sort of put the guys on a stage to get them known, to get them feel comfortable and sort of have a feeling of the top level of professional tennis. And then we used it to test case potential innovation because I have never ever been worried about the next generation of players. My biggest concern is where the next generation of fans are coming on, you know, coming from. But this is all sports, not just tennis. It's because just the way, you know, my kids are all in their twenties and how they consume media is so different to how when I grew up. And we need to find ways to you know, sort of embrace them, get them in the sport. And I'm not saying everything we did in Milan and Testers, everything is great, but at least we're out there having the nerve to do it. And then we'll know. Um, I think many of the things were really successful. 
what have you and what has the tour learned most or taken most from Milan, from the Next Gen Finals, that you feel like you can apply to what you're trying to do across the tour uh, on the quote-unquote main tour? Well, I think, I mean, the obvious ones is the shot clock. We were the first to do that now. That's on the tour. The reduced warm-up is happening. We're gradually reducing that. Um, uh, so that's going to be implemented across the tour very easily. The Hawkeye Live is an interesting one where you don't have line judges. There's mixed opinion. Do you lose the... Uh, sort of crowd interaction of looking at the replay and the um, you know and the ball flying across in slow motion then hitting the ground. There's two schools of thought. I actually like. I think it's very clean. I think the court looks cleaner. Um, it slightly speeds up play because no one even questions it. It's just boom on you go. But I think that will probably happen uh, in the next couple of years. The biggest one is obviously the scoring format. I'm personally a great fan of it. I know traditionalists, you know really don't want to change but I think it is so much more dynamic it's uh, there is no downtime the momentum can turn instantly so at the end of a set normally when I go out and come back for 20 minutes later to see it at three all I don't want to leave right and it's not about reducing the amount everyone thinks it's about reducing the amount of time and it isn't it's about taking out the down moments um, now I was you know when you do something as radical as that it's not you're not going to get buy-in early on, but I was amazed at this year's Milan um, uh, finals, how many people who've been around the game a long time were beginning to go, you know, this is actually really quite interesting. And that's a massive change from three years ago. Will the slams ever change from five sets? No, and I don't think they should, right? It, it works, it's brilliant, it's a different form, but I do think there are uh, opportunities to have different formats in the game. A couple of things, Chris, you mentioned about the first of four, and the slams are booming, the masters are booming, 500s, very, very successful. Some of the 250s, I would imagine, are quite difficult. They don't, some of them will lose money. Maybe a chance to introduce it at the 250s? Potentially, yes. Um, I mean, you could say if you do that, you distance the 250s from the main tour maybe too much, or you go, actually, uh, the time, you know, the time could be to try it now. Um, I, I'm a more of a fan of if you believe in it that it's right just do it but that's quite a bold bold step one thing that drives me mad as a <laughs> commentator and you mentioned first to four what about actually scrapping change events in the first to four and also atp maybe and i think also the grandstands coming down hard on the injury timeouts you'll see some tactical injury timeouts right. in the middle of a set yeah, I, tot I totally agree. I mean, I think it's, uh, again, in Milan, we just, uh, you know, reduced it was one medical timeout allowed. Uh, I think that's OK. Um, but the tactical use of it is is not acceptable. Uh, and it, we really do have to look very closely at it. It just looks, it's a poor reflection on the sport. Um, not just the fact it takes time, it's more people see very clearly what is going on. If someone's legitimately injured or needs time out, I think everyone's very compassionate about that, right? But when you see the, you know, the tactical play, it's not good. You look back at your career, six years in this position, you're very happy about voting for the prize increase that you did with the players a few years ago. Also very proud of this event, which we're standing in the midst of at the O2, the, uh, the NITO ATP finals, over 2.5 million in attendance. We've just been talking about the next-gen ATP finals in Milan now in its third year. It's obviously here to stay. How do you reflect? That was sort of me briefly summing what you had already said earlier today, but you're starting to sort of reflect, and you've been asked that, that L word, legacy, that you've left on tour? Yeah, I mean, the legacy word that's 
people have been asking me a lot this week. I'm, I'm slightly wary of using a legacy word. I think normally people uh, who start talking about their own legacies have got egos the size of houses. And um, I sort of just think it's part of my job to do it. I, I love the sport. Um, I love to innovate. I'm passionate about it. I've lived and breathed this pretty much most of my life. Um, and I think just... It's, it's part of what I do and you roll on and the next person will hopefully take it forward again. Some exciting changes, changes to the 500, is that correct? Prize money, distribution? Well, not really, not the distribution, we just we came up with a prize money formula and um, what I was very adamant about when I came in was one of the, not faults of the HP, one of the things that makes it so difficult to run is that every three years you have a huge prize money argument fight obviously players want to get more promoters want to play less i'm the guy stuck in the middle and i said you can't have a chairman that is the sole vote on this um just making arbitrary decisions to go one you know with players or with tournaments i mean i had to do it in my first year but i said this can't carry on because what it does is at a board level cripples the 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 dialogue to then do the good things right on the wider picture and so let's come up with a formula where it's based on real numbers, based on growth, media growth, whatever it is. Um, so every three years, we don't have to sit behind a room and you know behind closed doors and have fights between each other. And the 500s have agreed this formula. It's, it's a really quite a historic moment in the tour because I think the 250s and the, and the Masters will follow. And that takes a huge pressure then off the next uh, chairman. We'll talk about ATP Cup here in a second, Chris, but here's what I'm curious. There's a lot of listeners, tennis fans around the world that are so passionate about this sport. And within the boardrooms, you were just talking about the closed doors. It's an alphabet soup of who's in control, right? And, and tennis is different from a lot of sports in that way. For you to speak to the fans through this medium, through ATP Tennis Radio, what has been sort of your goal? I think a lot of what you were talking about today was growing the sport of tennis. But I, I think that takes a lot of um, politicking and a lot of a lot of those meetings in the boardrooms and, and maybe not necessarily what's been your focus, but just that brief explainer of all of those different entities, those ABCs of tennis, <laughs> trying, Chris, to work together to grow the sport. Yeah, I think my, my whole message when I came in to everybody was we're all in the same business. We all want, you know, my, mine is men's professional sense, but we all want the game to be as big as it can be and to con continue to grow. And it's in everyone's interest that that happens, by the way. So I've always said to the Slams, I want you to be even bigger than you are. You know, I want the ITF to be successful. I want the WTA to be successful. This isn't ATP land grabbing. I just want everybody to grow. But I said to them, equally, you have to want us to grow as well. Right, and then we're all on the on a level playing field, and competition is good. It's healthy because once you start to raise the the, the bar on just you know the on-site experience or the TV experience, everyone everyone gets better, um, and I feel very passionately about that. In terms of the governing bodies that everyone talks about, the, the alphabet soup, and that there are too many, it, it, I think it's slightly overplayed that because you look at others. If you're a domestic sport and you're in one country, so the NBA saying so says, well, they're the only association. Once you go global, then you are going to have many, just like rugby, there are, I don't know how many rugby bodies there are, but that, you know, like football, there's, you know, we have the FA here, you, you know, you've got UEFA, you've got FIFA, and so it's, it's not unusual, and I don't know, it's become a tennis thing that it's sort of, this is a, a mess, and I don't believe it is actually. Um, I do think 
people can work together better. Um, but I think it's fundamentally doable. So Chris, maybe the only solution, and it has been mentioned, a commissioner who, who is at, sits at the top of the seven governing bodies, the four majors, the ATP, WTA and the ITF? I mean, yes, in, 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 a, in a way, um, that would be a good idea. I mean, can I see that happening? No, <laughs> to be brutally honest. You know, I mean, it's, it's tradition. There's people have been in the sport for a long time, so the slams aren't going to relinquish anything to someone else. And I, and I don't think it's necessarily needed. I do think maybe better forums where things can be tidied up like you know for me the slam should have the same rules on things like tie break shouldn't be different um but I, and you could also argue that having individuality on events is a good thing as well so i think it's more not the structure i think it's more the people in it and the spirit of what you're trying to do chatting with outgoing chairman of the atp chris kermode and you're going to be relaxing in January after six hard years of work. I think you said maybe you had four days off in a row in those six years. So much deserved that break. But ATP Cup is going to be well and truly underway in January. And, and why was that the right move? Why was that the move made in January to do the ATP Cup? And what do you feel like fans should be looking for to be most excited about that event when they see it across those Australian cities? So... How I looked at it was, you know, there was a big call from players to have their own, you know, the ATP is owned 50% by the players and, and the ATP promoters. And there was a call from players, I'm going back when I started, to have their own team event. You know, so I looked at this and, um, you know, whenever you make changes, you are going to ruffle some feathers. Um, you know, we had good dialogue with the ITF. We tried to do it together and it just didn't work work out. Well, you know, one of the reasons that I was strong on is uh, that there should be points. And, but it has to be merit-based, right? So, you know, one of the things we stumbled across was, um, you know, the, the old Davis Cup system where the captains choose the players. I said, you know, nowadays you can't, I don't think, get away with that. Like, say if you've fallen out with your association or the, or the captain and you could be a high-ranked player and not be in the team, that's in no one's interest, you know, and I kept saying to them, you want to put your best team out there. So there were just little things like that that I think is cultural. Um, when we looked at where to play it, we, I was very adamant as well. Um, the whole new Davis Cup format was adamant that it had to be at the, the end of the season. I said, look, I can't justify extending the season. You know, play it's a long season anyway. I just don't think it's a good idea to add another one at the end of the season. For player health, you see the guys here, they're, you know, they're getting to London is, is tough. And mentally, I think after that, they, they've gone. So I've never believed that that can work and I don't think it's sustainable long-term. We then looked within the calendar, players can only play so much during the year. Now, if you put it in the calendar, by definition, they're going to, if they play that event, they're gonna, by definition, not play something else. So if, if you're adding something, you're then subtracting within an event in the calendar, that could damage our own tournaments. So really, I looked at about 18 different calendar versions or options that we could play with and week one was the only week where basically every player plays they're playing that week anyway right so it's not adding to the calendar it's just we're replacing you know brisbane um and uh, sydney and you know they're playing there anyway in australia so let's do it that week it kick starts starts the season for the atp with a 
big bang, a big, you know, big team event. And then that thread, that journey will go all the way through to the NITO ATP final. So we bookend the calendar. Um, so it was for player health to start the season, um, where all the players are fresh, keen to play. Um, I, I really, really think it's going to be a huge event. Just a real quick follow-up for me. Is there space for WTA Cup? Is there a space for WTA to work with ATP and do something that's combined? And a lot of fans like that idea. I think it's it's a conversation that will happen down the line. I mean, what the appetite is from both sides, who knows, to early days. Um, but it's funny how, you know, there were doubters every time you do something. There were doubters when we started here. I remember starting this event in London. E even AEG that we were in partnership, you know, thought there was no way, they said to me, Chris, there's no way you're going to fill this arena twice a day. And we took the chance, you know, we've defied everybody. It's become the biggest indoor tennis event in the world ever. Um, and three years on, as we've mentioned, you know, in Milan, the ATP Next Gen Finals has already become, you know, now an established thing. And I think two or three years, the ATP Cup will be uh, a, a really big, not just a sort of cultural event, it'll be a sort of the start of the sporting calendar. You're a risk taker, Chris. Tough question now. Where do you see the, the game in 10 years' time? Uh, it's an interesting one. I mean, I, the landscape's changing uh, all the time in terms of, uh, and this just isn't a tennis issue, this is a sport mm. issue. Just, you know, how you've know, mentioned often about how kids consume media, that it's just, just changed off the scale. And so you're going to have to look at what the game looks like in 10 years' time to adapt to the next generation of fans. And, you know, how you engage and embrace that new audience is, is a challenge that all sport is going to face. And I don't think you can be complacent. I see lots of sports that are unbelievably complacent. And that's why I do believe in taking risks and chances, because I think if you just stand still delivering the same product, that's when you start to go backwards. Um, so things like the sponsorship model, the corporate model has changed, the media model has changed, and you've got to evolve with it and be ahead of the game. And I want to look at things from a position of strength, which tennis is. We're in the best place we've ever been. So let's look now whilst we're in a position of strength, rather than when the numbers, you know, if the numbers ever start to go down, that's when people panic and make really rash decisions. All right, we're wrapping up our chat here with Chris Kermode and favorite moment. Can you pick out yeah, one nice favorite moment? Six years on the job. I think what I've enjoyed most is when people have told me things that wouldn't happen and I said I will make them happen. And so this event was one of them, Next Gen was one of them and the ATP Cup literally had everybody going, you will never do pull these three events off. And I enjoy that challenge. Any regrets? Any regrets? No, not at all. No, no, absolutely not. Some, someone said to me, uh, you know, have you enjoyed it, uh, the job? And um, I rather too quickly said, no, I haven't. And it came across as quite, quite a bleak comment. And I, what I meant was, um, and then I quickly said, but I don't regret any of it. It's been really tough um, and uh, it's been a hell of an experience. So um, I'm very, very pleased I've done it and proud of what I've done. Um, but it, it has been quite tough and, you know, it takes its toll, you know. Um, and so, uh, no, it's been good. Wonderful to have so much time with Chris Kermode. Our thanks to him for that and indeed for everything he's done for the game of tennis. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. The other half of this week's podcast is another exclusive interview with a man who's been very much by Chris Kermode's side 
across many of the key issues and events of the past few years. Ross Hutchins is the ATP's Chief Player Officer and also Tournament Director at the Next Gen ATP Finals, which is where Barry Cowan caught up with him shortly after the Italian home favourite and eventual champion Yannick Zinner had beaten Francis Tiafo in an early upset. Obviously the sensation of Sinner here in Milan has really taken the, the country by storm and with Berrettini playing at the Nito ATP Finals in London, this country is all about tennis so it's great to be part of it but also with the other players that's on show, with the attendance we've had has been packed for the first couple of days and it's not easy to pack out a stadium so it's been fantastic and the matches that we've had have been exciting, the formats and innovation have been welcomed not necessarily to take forward into tennis onto the tour, but ultimately just as a, as a way of what we're trying to show, which is we're trialing things. We want to use this event as a global platform in a week where there are some ATP Challenger tournaments, but ultimately it's the main show for the players, for the event, for the ATP this week prior to our event in London. I really enjoyed the first two years, but it's a different venue this year. We're at the Allianz Cloud Arena. Was that always the plan in year three to move it here? It was actually our plan in year one, to be honest. Um, when we looked at Milan four years ago as an option to take this new inaugural first year uh, back in 20, 2017, we looked at three or four different venues in Milan. We thought Milan would be a perfect location for this event with its proximity for, for the swing of events with the indoor facilities that they have with the, the passion that they, get, they have for our sport in, in Italy and also the Italian Tennis Federation and the Italian Olympic Committee, formerly known, now known as Sporte Salute. And we thought, great partners. They do a phenomenal event, the Master 1000 in Rome, same partners there, so let's take them and go with them to a city in Italy. Milan was the option and we looked at three or four different venues. All of them actually had had tennis previously and our location for the last two years wasn't actually one of those locations that we had planned. We had planned to be here because it had history in tennis from a tour event where Roger Federer won his first title here. But unfortunately, it wasn't ready. They were renovating it, so we had to find an uh, alternative location for a year or two, of which we went to Fiera Milano the last two years, and we built a venue from nothing. It was an open warehouse, and we spent a couple of weeks building from scratch with always the intention to come back to here because we thought this would be the, the best impact and the best place to showcase our event. And that's why as soon as we could have this venue up and running and Milan Cortina got given the Winter Olympics in a couple of years, Milan is buzzing with sporting events. We brought it back here and it's right in the heart of the city, close to San Siro. It's got everything we need here and people are, are used to coming here and watching sporting and entertaining event of which we're now a big part of it. We are the opening event. Uh, of this new arena so we're excited to be back here and uh, we actually had the, the sports minister of Milan here with us last night who was delighted with everything so it's um, it's a really good partnership and we're very happy to be back here. Well all the fans will turn up and they enjoy the event but for you what does a tournament director what's your job title you know how how long in advance do you have to be here what are your sort of working days to give our listeners a good idea of a, of a typical day for Ross Hutchings as tournament director? Well, it's not easy because it's throughout the year. I would say it is easier than the first year because you're building the event in year one and you're, it's brand new. You're trying to build a format. You're trying to build understanding around um, investment for players, investment for infrastructure, investment for courts, days and lead in to build the courts, to build temporary structures around the area for locker rooms and gyms and player dining, corporate hospitality, ticket sales timing, marketing bursts, um, social media um, platforms that we're trying to build for this event. 
websites that we're trying to build for this event, um, how we're going to maximize our media rights sales where we're selling the event into the, into the world and trying to share it with our fans, how we're trying to promote the players in advance. So all of this in year one was complicated and we had to build a structure around how we're going to achieve this. Then in year two, it's about improving on the first year and trying to learn from the, from the adjustments which we can make. Year three, it's in place. We think we know our where we stand. We think the event has got class and knowledge around the world, especially because of the next gen brand and linking the next gen brand, which is a complete successful campaign that we've we've promoted the last few years, linking to a major event like this. It works and, and we're very proud of how it's been. But then when we come to this event, it's about a new venue and about trying to implement the same things we've had previously, but putting it into a new venue and how we can really try and attract new audiences in Milan rather than going to one venue to come to another venue. So I, come, I came here uh, about three weeks ago for the first time and actually went back to London because we got a lot of things going on with the NITO ATP finals and the ATP Cup. Um, so I had to go back for some meetings and I came back out again here probably two weeks ago then went back to London and then finally came out about a week ago to do the final build a week in advance before the start of the event so we've got great partners with the Italian Tennis Federation that do a lot of the operational build with us we set direction and, and they work collaboratively as a partner with us which is fantastic they're, they're phenomenal as a, as a, as a promoter of, of an event they know what they're doing and we, we really have good relationships with them now we're in year three um, but it takes time and we've got a very small team at the ATP working this event, probably around five, five people, five core teams, and then it expands for the event. Um, so, you know, we're trying to do as best we can. We, we are across many different projects, as I said, those three events which, which we oversee. And yes, we work with different partners and it's great. We continue to innovate, you continue to evolve. How have the sort of the changes this year in terms of not necessarily the rules because most of them have been established for the first two years, but certainly the data, how's that been working? It's been working really well, thanks Barry. I mean, we thought in the first couple of years we would test with more rules, with 10 different rules, which we've been quite consistent with, with hopefully the intention to take them to the tour at some point, and if not, just to at least say we've tried and there can be no question about whether it's a good or bad rule. We have so much conversation around what rules we should use in our sports. We have so many conversations now amongst governing bodies, federations, grand slams, and all across all board meetings. And the topic when we talk about it is what happened in Milan? How did it work in Milan? What was the feedback from Milan? How did the fans and, and the players like it in Milan? So this has become quite a theme where when people suggest rules, they come to us saying, can we try it in Milan? Which is brilliant. And that's exactly what we need for people to buy into that. So that's what happens now. It, uh, it's a case of tournaments will come to you and say, maybe we quite like the idea of having, I don't know, no, no warm up. So that's then something that you might consider and say, okay, maybe for 2020, we might experiment that to give tournaments the data, I guess that's what it is, to think that that might happen in the future. 100%, that's what happens. And that comes across the, the, the governing bodies, the players, the tournament directors, the Grand Slam, everyone. It's a constant conversation, the referees, the supervisors, we, and the fans. We asked the fans, 30,000 of them last year, what do you like to see? What do you want to see? We're happy to implement it. We're listening to everyone. It's not my personal view or the ATP's personal view necessarily about we're going to do this rule because we think this is the future or because it works. This is everyone's giving us feedback. This is the fans letting us know and the other people that supposedly know tennis very, very well who have been involved in the game for a long time. If you have an idea, let's, let's hear it, Barry, and we can, we can talk about it because we want to really use this event so that people can't say, why have the sport not 
tried this and we're open to adding different rules and this year we have continued with a lot of things that we have in the past because they've been successful we removed the the let so ultimately last two years we when the ball hits the net on your serve you just play on whereas the tour as everyone knows it stops and you have a let and you take the serve again we've gone back to the tour rule for this year because we don't think that's going to come into the sport anytime soon we tried it for a couple of years and and it was okay but the feedback from the fans and the players was not really liking that one so we removed it but we added a couple more we reduced the warm-up to one three one meaning one minute to walk on three minutes to hit one minute to get ready for the first point and we continued with a lot of the other rules and we expanded our coaching possibilities to be able to speak with your coach every changeover rather than at the end of each set and the other addition is we're really going into the data piece not only to analyze what everyone thinks of the event and the timings of the matches with this format but also with video analysis for the coaches live as the match is happening what's actually happening without them using their own mind or their own judgment in what they see from their brains it actually gives them basic information well actually it's quite detailed information on the ipad where now sport is moving in that direction we see it across so many other sports where they see actual analytical data which is given to them and then it's up to them to implement it with their player if if they can and it's fair for everyone because everyone's able to see the same data and also players are able to wear wearable technology of which Kecmanovic is wearing it here during matches and a lot of the other players have been wearing it during the practices to try and understand how their body is actually feeling how's their health levels how's their stress levels how's their load of their muscles how are they moving are they quicker than today are they slower than today do they need a lighter day in the warm-up do they need a more intense day because they've had less effort the day before so it actually tells you in everything we're trying to do what is actually happening and it's not a judgment from a, a sentiment or a feeling from how you wake up in the morning and that's the way the sport's going that's the way sports in generals are going that's the way the athletes are being that important because the prizes that are up for grabs from both financial but also just as a as a legacy of winning this event as a as a title to becoming higher ranked in the world or, or giving yourself more opportunity to to be a bigger superstar is moving in that direction and and it's becoming more serious i believe and we've got to try and help the players and help the sport be as professional as possible to allow players to analyze themselves and keep their keep their careers as long as possible because we want them around for as long as possible Delighted we got Ross Hutchins on ATP Tennis Radio, the tournament director here in Milan, also tournament director for ATP Cup. I actually have a suggestion. I personally don't like the pre-interviews, pre-match interviews with players. I don't think they work. So what about having pre-interviews, pre-match interviews with coaches and then also be able to interview a coach during a match and they have to do maybe one a, one a match. Would that be something that could go through? Well, it's, I think you and I think quite alike, Baron. I appreciate your thoughts. We actually don't do a pre-match interview here because I share those thoughts. I'm not the biggest fan of a pre-match interview because the player is so focused on their match that often I, I'm not sure how much the value is there. And, and I enjoy the post-match and to actually see the feelings of the players and their nerves or, or potential excitement for a match. So we don't have one here. Um, and ultimately, it's, it's better, in my view, that way. And last year, we actually did interview coaches where the commentators were able to speak to the coaches once a set. We faced a couple of challenges internationally because when you speak in one language and this is going out to so many countries around the world that often those countries either can't understand what the coach is saying or they could potentially be showing something different. So there's a slight confusion with the crossover of the coach speaking 
but the TV showing something else. So we faced a couple of challenges, but that's certainly an intention of ours to involve the coaches more. We actually, for the first time, did a coaches press conference here in Milan. So we had all the eight coaches prior to the players speak honestly about what's happening in Milan. And that's something which we've moved forward with. And that's something where we did a press conference and now we might do mid-match interviews next year and bring it back from last year, but find a way to do it. And also we believe that we've been doing some interviews on our website. There's a coaches corner on the atptour.com, which includes... Um, interviews with our coaches here in Milan Kasper Rood's father Christian who probably was playing at your when you were playing Barry did a very interesting interview on the website so coaches is key because they're the ones that are close to the players and they often know the sport as well as the players do or their former players that have very clear knowledge so I'm fully supportive with you and, and as we can progress that we will progress that so we look forward to having the discussion around putting them in next year it's a very exciting time for ATP and also very exciting in January, ATP Cup, and you've been very much a part of that. What are the sort of challenges that you've faced and also what you're really looking forward to seeing when that kicks off? In Australia, they have great venues. Uh, working with the government of Sydney, also with Perth and Brisbane governments, it, it's fantastic. And the venues that, that they're investing in, that we're supporting in such a big way to put a roof on the Sydney location, on the uh, Ken Rosewell Arena, is, is a big investment and potentially to move into an even bigger stadium down in the heart of Sydney in the future, which is an exciting possibility potentially going forward in years to come. Also, the Perth location is a 14,000-seater stadium with a retractable roof, and the Brisbane also has a roof that we've seen amazing matches from the Brisbane International ATP event in the past. That event is uh, a joy to work on. I would be honest to saying, working with Tennis Australia, similar in working with the Italian Tennis Federation, they're a phenomenal organisation who, who have um, so much ambition to, to grow the sport with us. They do an amazing Australian Open, as all the Grand Slams do great events. Australia does a phenomenal event themselves. And we're working hand in hand with them on this event. We are looking at team competitions as 24 teams. Each team could have three to five players. So it could be bet between 80 and 100 easily players on the same site major event major coverage around every country in the world is taking this internationally all the fans are talking about it we've already put a schedule out there between the best players in the world playing against each other we had almost 30 of the top 30 committing to this event at the, at the first deadline and now we've got even more commitment going forward with even more players so everyone's playing unfortunately we've had a couple of withdrawals and injuries but that's part of our sport we've got such a strong depth in our sport that in the end the sport will, will move forward with a, a phenomenal event and we're going to showcase team and and camaraderie competition uh, really patriotic matches the best players in the world playing in, in exciting formats we're gonna have sold out stadiums data analytics again we're pushing even more forward for the first time in a event that offers ATP ranking points next gen doesn't offer ranking points but it's obviously a big stage but we're offering um, big push towards data analytics we're having going to have on-court live analytics from the team zone and, and from the area on the side of the court where the, the teams and the coaches are going to be we're going to have strategy rooms at each location at the facilities where they're going to analyze all sorts of data from what players can see so they can prepare well in their days off for the following day we're going to offer practice matches we're going to offer really advanced things for singles players for doubles players and for everyone on site so it's an event which we're pushing the, the, the needle in, a, in quite a big way we're going to start the year off in, in a, with a bang we're going to start the year off with a huge event in australia with with great partners and it's going to showcase 2020 moving forward and i can tell you every player is very excited for this and and my phone has been lighting up the last few days just with the players asking about some of them are even on 
honeymoons and holidays in, in the safaris and I'm getting messages for them saying, when shall I get to ATP Cup? Uh, when's sites opening and, and when are we going to be welcoming them? And we're going to be welcoming them from early in, in the, uh, or late in this year, but certainly early in the new year. And the event kicks off on the 3rd of January. We're very excited. It sounds absolutely wonderful. Just one question on it that some countries are very strong. So their fifth player might be 40 in the world. What happens if they don't play singles because then there's potential that they might be underprepared going into the Australian Open? Well, there's an alternative tour event, uh, Doha ATP 250, which is a fantastic event and, and won many of our, of our best tournament of the year for the 250 category in the past. Uh, that's also in week one. So a player has the opportunity to play Doha ATP 250. So that's great if they want, want to play matches or earn points or earn prize money from that tournament. So there's always an alternative. And there's also three challenger tournaments that week where players can play. So not getting matches will not be an issue. Every player can get matches. If a player is number three, four or five, as you mentioned, and they could be forward in the world, we're putting on official practice matches for them to play for. So actually full officiating, full scoreboard, full line judges, uh, full ball, ball boys and girls in front of crowds. So ultimately that's an important piece where if a player wants to go there and be part of this huge event, arguably one of the biggest events in our sport, but is slightly concerned about the match practice because it's it's before Adelaide and Auckland and for them it's obviously before Australian Open two weeks before, which is the prime week for, for preparing for that event. We're making sure that we have all angles covered both competitively inside and outside Australia in that week prior to Australian Open. The ATP's Ross Hutchins there on the ATP Cup, which is set to kick off in January. And before that, talking about the third edition of the next-gen ATP Finals. I'm Seb Lozier. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. Join us again next week when we learn a whole lot more about the teen sensation that is Yannick Zinner. We'll hear from the young Italian himself, also his legendary coach, Riccardo Piatti, plus the thoughts of Luciar and Nick McCarvel. For now, though, you've been listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. review.